I could have absolutely kicked myself yesterday. I have, and I've written a review of this mug. I must be the only person that's written a review of a travel mug in the past. But I had this <laughs> amazing Bodum travel mug. You can buy them on Amazon. They're brilliant. They're like stainless steel insulated 16, 18-ounce cups. And it's got like a French press in the lid. So you can make a cup of proper coffee and it keeps the coffee hot for like four hours. It's brilliant. I just like always have this thing with me. And I took it down to London yesterday when I was, went down to see a client. I'm coming back on the train and I'm working away on the laptop and all of a sudden the announcer on the train tells me that we're going to be coming into our station. So I daintily pack everything away back into my bag and I have my bag on the table and I have my mug next to it and I get up to leave the train and I pick up my bag and I bloody leave the cup. Can't believe it. I left the cup on the, on the train and I didn't know until I actually got to the car park and I'm like, damn. So I was really quite grumpy because I like that cup. Oh man, that sucks. So I'm going to have to buy another one. It's like £18 on Amazon, but I'll put a link in the show notes because they are bloody brilliant for geeks, you know, because you make a cup of coffee or tea and, you know, then you put it down somewhere and you get distracted for 20 minutes and you come back and it's cold. Mm. Yeah, and there's nothing worse than a cold cup of tea. No, this is this is really, really good. Also, I mean, I don't know how many people you have on this podcast, but um, you set up an affiliate link, it could pay for itself. Well, there is that. I could have a. I, I, do you know? I never do that. Usually, <laughs> I could do like an Amazon affiliate link, and yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. There you go. So, before we get started, I just thought it'd be a nice idea, as we're all together again, to talk about your let's talk design video channel show thing, Dan, that you've been doing. Yeah, I remember we had a, like a DM conversation before you stick kick this thing off when you were kind of tossing the idea around and i thought yeah it's great and all of a sudden you've gone into like full-on video production mode <laughs> yeah it feels like it. it i'm terrible because as with anything when i start something i don't like you could you i could have done this off my iphone using a gorilla pod and the built-in mic right like that would have been fine but no i have to buy a better camera buy a better mic do my, like get you know learn how to use premiere pro and and like want to do it properly but yeah i mean it's um it's been really fun actually so i can't really complain about that you know but i am i don't need to buy all that stuff but you know i just can't help myself did you buy a brand new canon just to do the video no i well yes and no i had a canon camera and this is this is where it's probably a bit silly but it didn't have a flip out lcd which is really important when you're filming yourself because you need to be able to see if you're in frame and focus etc and so i sold my other one and then bought a pre-owned one um from an online uh, photographic site so i'm i'm in negative by about a hundred pounds or something so it didn't cost me a lot but then you know the microphone and you know bits extra sd cards and whatnot it all adds up because I was wondering about doing something similar, but I've got an old Canon, I think it's a 450D. They called it something strange in the States. I can't what they called it. Um, and I've got one of those. And, you know, it's, I haven't used that SLR for ages. I took it to Australia on the trip thinking, right, I'm going to take the SLR and I'm damn well going to use it. And do you know what? I just left it in the box for like the entire trip. <laughs> yeah. And shot everything on the bloody iPhone. I mean, you know, the thing is, is the camera's like super good on an iPhone. Um, 
but yeah i knew uh, you know i knew the kind of feel that i wanted for the video and the kind of video style that i wanted and you know i i was i knew that i would achieve it by doing those things and i knew i'd always just be thinking oh it's just maybe i should just get it and i thought well rather than do that if i if i buy the stuff then i'm committed and um yeah so far i'm five weeks into it and um it's been going really well so people seem to be responding well to it and still sort of figuring everything out and you know trying to find new and interesting ways of shooting video and just in the last one was with ryan and had it you know has him as a guest and just answered one question and talked about that for like 10 minutes that was like a mini podcast like a video podcast yeah i mean the idea was was it was going to be sort of like five or six questions and around 10 minutes and it would just be a once a week thing where i could just answer questions it'd be really broad um but you know design focused obviously but everything from you know beginner stuff all the way through to well, not, no, I'd say advanced, but you know, questions that, you know, even if you've been in a while, maybe you had. Um, and I even, I think I answered one of your questions. I think you were one of the first questions, Andy, and that was, uh, where are my keys? If I remember correctly, I answered that as well. <laughs> oh, you did actually. I haven't watched any of them. I've just, you know, I've seen it on the Twitter. Oh, it's always nice to meet a fan. It's going to be a regular thing then, I take it. That's the plan. I mean, the thing with with the Q and A show is it only works if you get questions. And I remember when I sent you a message at the beginning, I, you know, I had my reservations because I was sort of like, I don't feel like I'm particularly qualified, being you know fairly young and you know only been in the industry for sort of you know seven years or so. But I thought, well, at the end of the day, there's not. I haven't really seen many people doing it, and. If it can provide value to to people and they're interested in my perspective, then great. But you know, it will only continue the whole time people ask questions. And I've got ideas for for the show moving forward. And you know, I want to meet up with um, or get together with other designers and you know, answer more specific questions. So Brian did one, you know, which was about managing web projects and how we do that. And I've been talking to people about doing perhaps like UX based ones, so getting together with somebody from like Andy Budd from Clear Left and talking about UX and just doing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the plan is, is to keep doing it. So the, the great thing about running your own show is that you can make up the questions. I was going <laughs> to so ask People that. don't have to write in. You could just, you could just pick a topic and say, and because people will likely have the question, even if no one specifically wrote it into you. So you could just pick a topic and make up a question about it and answer it, and it would still be really valuable to people. Well, this is the thing because um, I was speaking to Paul Barrick yesterday and he was like, uh, so have you got to the period where you make up the questions yet? And I said, well, no, I haven't. But the reason I haven't is because the way I've sort of done the show is that every time a question is asked and I show it on the show, I show the person who's asked it their avatar, their name and their Twitter handle. If it was sent in via Twitter anyway, if it's sent in via Facebook, it's just their name. So it makes it harder to make up a question but i mean i guess i could make up a question but it makes it harder i guess at some point you might run into something where someone has a really good question but they don't want it to be tied to them so what do you do at that point like can you make it anonymous because a question you know the answer to a question will still be really good and it doesn't have to be that a person asked it or a person wants to be identified as having asked that question so as an example somebody might ask you hey i really want to leave my job soon and and start my own mm. studio. How should I go about doing that? But obviously that person might not want their boss to see that video somewhere. Oh, so, yeah, you know, like, absolutely. like you might want to make way for, for stuff like that to happen. That's a, yeah, that's a really good point actually. And, um, 
yeah, maybe I need to, uh, but this is the thing is that, you know, I'm sort of figuring this stuff out because the way I've, yeah, the way I've done it at the moment, it sort of doesn't lend itself that well to that because it doesn't have that, um, you know, that anonymous element to it. So yeah, I think, um, that could potentially encourage more people to ask questions as well, especially if they don't, if they think their face isn't going to be on, you know, the show as it were. Mm. Mr. EB from Eccles. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you, Dan. Gainfully employed <laughs> in Alabama. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. And, you know, you, you've sort of, you know, it's I, it's inspiring to watch you kind of, you know, develop it. And it sort of reminds me, and I'm equally impressed, you mentioned him, Paul Boag, who seems to be absolutely on fire recently in terms of the, yeah. the, yeah, the, the stuff he puts out. And it's all really well thought out. I'm not just buttering his buns, but... It is all really well thought out and he's getting better and better at the video production. And I just think to myself, this is a really nice, we've, you know, things go in cycles, don't they? And, you know, we've all done podcasts and, and things for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and yet I like the little short video format, you know, the like 10, 15 minute thing. Yeah. I think it works really nicely. You know, little kind of little sound bites. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, one of the first people to contact me when I said I was doing it. Um, as a friend of mine and he said, he said, good luck. Um, trolls on YouTube are absolutely horrific <laughs> because he'd done something before and he's like, it's like the worst place for, for, for trolls. But, um, but you know, with video, you are putting yourself out there that little bit more, you know, you, you, you are on camera and there's, there's not anywhere to hide. You know, you, you, you suddenly do feel more judged because you are on show as it were so yeah i mean i've always enjoyed video um i've always enjoyed um you know watching it as as somebody who consumes a lot of video content um i really enjoy the format so yeah i'm glad you you like it speaking of podcasts you're not making the businessology show anymore are you dan with jason I'm not making it with Jason anymore, but Jason's going to continue to make it. So we just got to a point where I feel like I didn't have anything left to say. I, I feel like we had good topics. And the last, you know, honestly, the last couple of episodes really stressed me out because I would be recording with him and I would just be like, I don't know what to talk about and I don't know what to say. And it was giving me like anxiety to, to be on the, the episodes. And so I just had a, a conversation with Jason. I was like, man, I, I don't know that I can contribute to this anymore because I don't know that I can be valuable to it. And he, and he had a lot of really great ideas for what he wanted to do with the show. And I was like, those sound great. I just don't think that you need me to be a part of it. And so, you know, we decided, like, I've had a good run with Businessology Show. He should take it and do the thing that he wants to do with it, which is going to be awesome. He's just going to be exclusively interviewing agency owners and talking to them about the troubles that they have doing, doing, running, running a business. Uh, and, and it's going to be like a, a, a really good interview series. Um, and so that's a great thing for the show to be doing, but I, I just felt like I had less, less to contribute than I, than I've had before. It is tough, particularly when you have, I mean, I know business is wider than a single issue, but when you have a podcast which is dedicated to that one thing, mm-hmm. um, it is hard, um, to, to keep the, keep the motivation going, you know, coming yeah. up with things to talk about the whole time. I mean, you know, this show is nothing about business anymore. God, I should change the title. <laughs> it's like more unfinished <laughs> weeing in kettles and, and planet of the apes, but, you know, that's okay because, you know, I don't think anybody that knows me or listens to this show really anymore kind of thinks that, you know, we're going to be getting deep into the business anymore. Although we just, you know, because we just talk about what, what kind of comes up. 
Yeah. Um, but if you do want to be more serious about it, like I know Jason is, yep. um, then, you know, all respect to somebody for, you know, actually having that kind of vision and, yep. and actually being able to pivot it. You know, we've pivoted one way into, you know, what I would like to think is much more of a kind of a web geek entertainment show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's what I kind of, so I justify sitting here on a, usually on a Friday afternoon talking to my friends um, <laughs> to actually go the other way. And it reminds me a little bit of what, uh, John Gruber did with the talk show when he split yep. off from five by five. That, show has just gone from strength to strength and I'm, I'm sure jason's will as well yeah absolutely i mean i think like we're still really good friends it was it was totally amicable it just i think that there are some things that come to that have an end to them and that was the end for me to be part of the show and and what he wanted to do with the show was much more well suited to him what he wants to do and what what the listeners want him to do and then also it, it frees him up to bring on another co-host if he wants to that's more suited to that topic so yeah. I, I you know i'm looking forward to being a listener of that show i would just be an awful host and the nice thing about all of this stuff whether it's you know nattering away on a podcast for an hour or dan doing your kind of new video format it's we can change it whenever we want. I mean, just yeah. because we start out that way, we're, you know, we are creative people. And if we want to decide one day that we're going to do something completely new and different with it or scrap it and start again, well, you know, that's all part of the creative process, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What I should do is I should formally introduce you two to our listeners, however many minutes we are into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Are you ready? Yes. Because this is, this is the start of the official bit, right? This is the part that you'd hear if this podcast was as good as something on the BBC. <laughs> <clears throat> Welcome back to Unfinished Business. Joining me, your host, Andy Clark, this week are two of my favorite design heroes, British-based co-owner of the No Divide Studio and host of the aforementioned Let's Talk Design video channel show designer, Dan Edwards. Welcome back. Hello. And because you wait all day and then two Dans come along at once... Creative director, founder, and director of the Super Friendly Agency in Philadelphia, Daniel the Dan Mall. Hello. How was that? That was wonderful. I think I'm going to have to say Dan and Daniel today, otherwise it's just going to get incredibly confusing for everybody, including me. Which one am I? And I'm I'm okay with you calling me Daniel. Actually, you can call me Daniel Mall if you want. When I was in grade school, there were three Daniels in my classes from first to sixth grade. So six years of my early life, there was a Dan, a Danny. I'm sorry, there was four of us. Dan, Danny, Daniel, and Daniel Mall. So I'm okay with that. Did you ever think about forming a boy band? <laughs> I, I actually was in a boy band for 10 years. So there it is. Not with those other Dans, because that would no have been way. very confusing. Um, but yeah, I was in a boy band. Did you have the sit down, you know, when you change for the key, you know, get up for the key change on this bar stools, that kind of thing? Absolutely. I mean, matching outfits, uh, tuxedos, um, you know, we went through the whole 90s and 2000s, so it was good. Oh, wow. Did you ever have a Lenny Kravitz moment? <laughs> no, fortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this, Dan? I don't know what the Lenny Kravitz moment is. So, okay, so we digress into complete pop culture entertainment, but I don't know when this was. It must have been fairly recently, but Lenny Kravitz is on stage. He's gone commando wearing a pair of skin-tight leather or vinyl trousers, Ooh. and he's in mid-guitar solo by the looks of it, gets down, squats on the stage, <laughs> His trousers rip right <laughs> along the crotch to expose his um his, his Lenny Kravitz. Lenny. His Lenny Kravitz. Exactly. 
And uh, of course, this is this was filmed by the millions of people that were standing in the front row, and it's now on YouTube. And people have made animated gifs of it, so it's never going to go from the internet. I have somehow completely missed this piece of Lenny Kravitz news. I congratulate you. So one little bit of follow-up that I think we need to do just quickly from the last time that, Dan, you were on the show. We spoke about an idea that we had talked about for, it was a day where we were thinking about getting stressed out designers and design business owners together. So we could just talk about problems that people were having and Mm. share experiences. And we thought that this was something that we were definitely going to be doing. And, well, we haven't. I haven't. (laughs) Excellent follow-up. It's just not happened. And, you know, it's a pathetic excuse, but I've been kind of busy doing other things. Um, Busy with work and, you know, kitchen renovations and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, we haven't done it, and we will do it. The, The other problem that we had was that the kind of time that we thought that we were going to do it, which was some point in kind of October, actually coincides with what we've got some plans for our second Geek Mental Help Week which is third week in October. So I don't want anything to particularly conflict with that. So we've put the idea away for now and we might get it back and we might dust it off at some point later on in the year because I think it's definitely something that we want to do. Yeah, I hope I hope we do. But I don't want to be, you know, I know I've sort of announced things in the past and then nothing happens and everybody, oh, you know, he's full of hot air which is actually true. But, But I do want to do this. We just, you know, it's just, it's not been the right time. Speaking of the geek mental help thing, it will be happening again in October. I was absolutely bowled over by the reaction that we had last year. People were so kind and so supportive, and it got way more traction and attention than I ever expected it to. It kind of just took off and had a life of its own. Um, so we definitely, definitely want to do that again in the same week in October. So I'm going to be asking people later on to contribute experiences and things through writing, and I'll probably be looking for people to help with the website this year. Uh, Hayden Pickering did such an amazing job last year, so he's kind of, you know, I don't want to trouble him again. We'll, we're going to do a new website and um, do the same kind of thing, you know, put it up on GitHub, and then anybody that wants to edit the website can just do a pull request. That's really awesome. All that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so, so that's the idea. So I'll talk more about that later, but that's, that's what's happening with our, um, designer donkey sanctuary day, which is, um, nothing. <laughs> designer donkey. Bugger, yeah. bugger all. Cool. Well, no, it, it came from this, an idea that Sue had, which was basically, you know, we just need to like rent a cottage or rent a farmhouse on in some remote rural area. Um, and then knackered old web designers can just come and like chew grass for a week, like donkeys. Um, because, you know, she thinks we're all kind of, you know, on our last legs. That's perfect. I think it's actually a bloody good idea. It's, it's so good. You, you got the branding, you got the identity, you got the name. It's all, all there. <laughs> well, actually, we do need to mention, talking about rural things and web designers getting together, we did promise our friend Chris Geary that we would mention um, his, uh, what is it, Web in the Woods, Dan? Web in the Woods. Our friend Chris is putting together a little kind of mini event. I don't know whether we call it a conference. Um, I think there are a few people speaking. Definitely a bunch of people gathering at a really nice location in uh, Kent in the woods in south of, in the south of England. Um, you're speaking there, I think, Dan? I am, yes. Um, what's the date? Can you remember? Of course I can. It's the 12th of September. There you go, 12th of September. <laughs> you, t- you almost had me then. I had to really think. <laughs> no, well, I was going to go, but I think that we're... Doing something, I'm, I'm thinking I'm washing my hair that day. So, 
I, I, can't, I can't be down there. But anyway, he's a really nice guy. He's trying something really different. I really like to support people that do that kind of stuff. So I'll put a link in the show notes to Web in the Woods, and it, it'll be a nice weekend um, away from the city. Yeah, it, it should be really nice. I think he's planning on, uh, obviously, everyone's going to be camping in the woods and uh, fish and chips and all that British stuff. So, uh, yeah, should be good. That's really the way to go with getting people together. I think I think our industry has had its fill of 800, 1,200-person conferences where one speaker is talking at a bunch of people for a long time, and there's not a lot of depth. I love hearing about the small gatherings where you're doing something meaningful and spending time with people and learning about stuff together, and like 30 people, 100 people, you know, whatever it is. I think that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah, it should be fun, definitely. I do do like to support people that are doing you know cool and interesting stuff um anyway speaking of supporting things i don't know whether you remember but in last episode i mentioned that i've just decided i'm not going to take paid sponsor spots on the show anymore it's i don't do it for the money and to be honest the overhead in terms of you know selling space and getting money and working with sponsors on agreeing the read or whatever it's more trouble than you know it actually pays me for so i just thought you know what I don't want to do that. What I'd rather do is I'd rather just talk briefly about something that I actually use and I really like. Um, and I'm not being paid to do it. I just thought I mentioned a nice product or a nice book or a nice event or a nice something that I actually use all the time. And, you know, I mentioned that and, you know, if there's an affiliate link, then I'll give you the affiliate link and, you know, you can click and buy something and support the show that way. But, you know, I'm not doing paid sponsor spots anymore. So you're going to be making your money from selling thermos mugs on affiliates now? Well, you know, all that kind of stuff. I just think, you know, <laughs> I know that people people do sponsors, and we've done sponsors in the past, and you do it for various reasons, but it's just not something that kind of um, works with the show as it stands at the moment. So, you know, that's fine. We can talk about, you know, whatever we want. Cool. Anyway, I don't remember, but up till last summer, I had, it was the father of all beards. Do you remember that beard? I do. I remember that. It was magnificent. It was a strong beard. A beard of Viking proportions, I used to like to think. And anyway, it was a good beard. But it aged me terribly. It aged me for about 10 years, I'm sure. And, you know, I don't need that. I don't need aging. Quite the opposite. So the beard had to go. And when I started shaving again, I was just amazed at how expensive regular shaving supplies cost. And particularly razor blades. I mean, just an insane amount of money. You go into the supermarket and you pick up a pack of, what, eight big brand, what are they called, fusion blades or something like that. And it's like 18 quid. It's like just the most incredible amount of money. So I'd heard that over in America, you can get shaving supplies on subscription. You get them cheaper. So I looked around to see if we get the same kind of service in the UK. And I found this company called Cornerstone. And I have to say, they have been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And when you sign up to Cornerstone, it's like a subscription service for shaving supplies. You get, in the first box, you get German-engineered razors, and they're really, really good. And you get some British blended skincare products, and you just get them delivered as often as you need them. So you choose how often you shave, and I shave like once or twice a week. So I get a box every 12 weeks, something like that. And it comes with all the pre-shave scrub and gel and razor blades and this post balm. Um, and it's literally about 30 quid. 
I can't remember exactly what the price is on the, on the website right now. And you get the first time you get like a free aluminium razor with your initials on it, which is really nice. And the yeah. cost is just so much lower than buying stuff in the high street. And I, you know, the shave's really good. So, you know, I actually look forward to shaving, which I never did before. And the cool thing is you can just change the plan whenever you like. And you know, there isn't any kind of ongoing commitment. So I sometimes pause the delivery when I've just built up a supply of um, blades or, you know, if I don't need any shave gel, I'll just kind of knock that off the order. And sometimes I'll have a box rushed to me if, you know, if I realize I'm running out. So I love it. And, you know, they're not paying me a penny, not one single penny to say all of this kind of stuff. But I do have this affiliate code. So if you sign up with Cornerstone through the link on the website, which is unfinished.bz, I get £10 credit and you get £10 off your first order. So, you know, if you shave and you buy your supplies from Cornerstone, then you'll be supporting me for making the show. And, you know, that's how I'm going to do things from now on. Sometimes there'll be an affiliate link. Sometimes I'll just talk about, you know, a conference or an event or something like that. And that's what we're going to do. Cool. I like it. Do you guys remember the show Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? Oh, I love that. I love that show too. So when it was on, I was, uh, I was just graduating college at that time. And my, my roommates and I would watch it religiously every week. And I remember one of, in one of the episodes, they were teaching a guy how to shave, how to shave properly. And one of the one of the people on the show said, you know, if men spent enough time shaving their face, like just a, an ample amount of time in shaving as they did trying to chase women, they would actually get the women that they were trying to chase because everybody rushes <laughs> through shaving, you know, like try to do it in 30 seconds and go. And so ever since then, I like have invested in good shaving supplies and, uh, and it makes a world of difference. It makes you enjoy actually shaving your face. Well, Alex, we've just come back off holiday. We had a, a, you know, a really nice long holiday. Alex came with us and he, you know, he's got a beard, but he shaves the sides. And he was showing me this, uh, razor that he'd bought. And I forget what they call them. I think they'll call them safety razors where you actually use old fashioned razor blades oh. in them. And, um, and that looked interesting. And he bought, um, you know, he think he bought like 200 razor blades for like eight quid on wow. Amazon. I mean, just like a ridiculous, I didn't try the debate. I might just get one just to see, but yeah, you know, I, I think we can experiment with shaving as well. I mean, I watched a video. There's a guy speaking of YouTube channels and crazy shit. You know, there's a guy that I watched that has a YouTube channel showing you how to shave and reviewing all of these different razors. And I watched one, God knows why I watched one where he was uh, shaving with this Japanese straight handled razor. Oh Yes. I mean, that's wow. the best. I know, amazing. So I've I'm, had one of those in my life. I had a barber shave me for my wedding with a straight razor, a Japanese blade straight razor, and it was the best. So smooth. Well, here's three geezers talking about. Yeah, their faces. I don't really shave that often, so I I feel left out. I think my girlfriend. Well, I can sort of. Not it sounds really threatened my girlfriend. That sounds completely wrong. But if I say to my girlfriend, I'm going to shave my sort of stubble off. I don't even have a beard. I can't even claim to have a beard, but the, the sort of the growth that I have. Um, but yeah, she, she's, she would probably leave me. She can't stand a clean shave. So I, I'm kind of missing out on this. Oh, well, I, you're not going to be signing up with Cornerstone, are you? No. <laughs> I recommend a badger hair shaving brush. Ah, we talked about this, but Alex is a strict, vegetarian and you know he's an animal rights guy so the thought of actually just turning a badger into a brush 
Fair enough. I thought you could maybe sh- shave the badger to get then let the badger go, but it's not going to happen. I need a bit of advice from you two because we are in the process at the moment. We are midway through redesigning the stuff and nonsense website. And I've been meaning to do this for about the last year, at least. It's like it's been about 18 months since we actually updated the website in any meaningful way, apart from blog posts. Um, so it's been something that's been on my mind and I've started and stopped at least half a dozen times because <laughs> it just wasn't. Well, there was two things actually. Creatively, I don't think I had an idea that was fully formed. But also, it seemed like a massive job because there's so many moving parts. You know, there's a CMS in place. We wanted to, um, you know, the old, the site uses less to process the CSS. It's that old. Um, you old geezer. So I wanted to obviously switch that, switch it over to using SAS. I wanted to update the CMS. I wanted to, uh, switch things from being, uh, you know, non-secure to SSL. I wanted to do all the things. I wanted to, you know, rebuild things from a performance point of view and all this kind of stuff. And the job just seems so massive. It's all of a sudden I'd built it up in my mind to be this big undertaking that every time I sat down to, to work on it, I would just distract myself by twiddling with the grid for four hours <laughs> and not actually be, you know, doing anything productive. So it was only during this month's holiday that we've just had where, you know, three weeks in, I just had the idea. And Sue said, oh, I just go ahead and do it. So I spent about three days while we were on holiday putting the foundations on the new design together. And it literally came together within about three days in terms of the overall kind of shape of the thing. But it's been one of the, it's been one of the hardest things that I've done in quite a long time. And I just, just going back to the existing site, I mean, just talking about, you know, actually, do we need a website at all? <laughs> Weirdly, we last updated our website 18 months ago, really, in any kind of meaningful way. And do you know what? I was looking at it the other day thinking, do you know what? It's absolutely a bloody miracle that anybody looks at that website and then hires us. I have no idea why. I have no idea. I was talking to a client. We just finished working on a big project with the King's College Hospital Trust down in London. And I said, I was with them last week. And I said, why the hell did you hire us based on this website? Because it's shocking. What they say? Well, they told me some really good things about how, um, you know, yeah, they'd seen a, they'd seen a nugget of some, you know, sites that we'd done before and they quite liked it. But the, from the point that they started talking to us and they understood what we were about and the process that we were going to go through and how closely we we're going to work with them and not be hands off, they forgot about our website and just <laughs> carried on, you know, talking to us outside of that. I just think it's amazing that anybody's hired us for the last 18 months with a website like that. I honestly, I'm gobsmacked. I think you're being uh, harsh on yourself though, because you know, you what's the, what's the saying? You're your own worst critic worst or critic. Some, something yeah. like that. It's, you, you know, it, it depends, right? Like if, if you were going to be looking at, you know, working with, you know, very cool upcoming startups, then they're probably, be looking at somebody maybe more like super friendly or um focus lab or meta lab or these um various like really cool 
uh, current uh, sites. But I mean, I think yeah, it depends. You've got to think who's looking at that, right? I mean, I don't know what this client you, who you, uh, you were talking about, what they do, what sector they're in, but they might think like that. That's an incredibly forward-thinking site. I mean, it's not a bad site. I think you're being a little harsh. <laughs> um, I think it's different from a lot of other sites out there. I'm not fishing for compliments. And we, we did want it to be different. And I think the new one is actually going to be very different in, in a load of different ways. But oh, I was just just amazed. Um, and the more I look at it, the, the more uh, inspired I am to actually quickly move ahead with this redesign. So we, what we're going to do is we're going to do a new site, new banner uh, illustrations again, which are actually quite cool this time. Um, or actually they're cool last wow, time. They're always last cool. Time. But th- these, this one's going to be even, even more special. We got, I'm going to rewrite all the content. There's going to be virtually nothing that, that stays. Um, we're going to explain things in a much better way and, I hope clearer. And I'm also going to write and talk about some of the things that we want to be doing more of that we don't necessarily do as much of as we want to. You know, I want to be moving the business in a different direction to what a lot of people do. I think we talked about this before. And we're going to do a complete rebuild and we're going to do all the SEO stuff and we're going to switch it on to SSL. And, you know, I might have it ready in a month. Um, but it's, it's really hard. And I just wonder sometimes, you know, we work with clients you know, five days a week, sometimes more. And we're telling clients about the best ways of doing things and what they should be thinking and how they should be presenting things. And yet when it comes to our own stuff, I don't know what happens. It just goes out the skylight. Yeah. Well, it's so hard to be objective about your own stuff. I mean, it's just, it's mired under an avalanche of self-doubt and baggage and years of all sorts of stuff. I mean, that's, I've never been able to work on my own stuff. I always hire out for it. It's, it's a tricky line to balance of if you talk about yourself in a good way, are you being too arrogant? But if you're, if you don't, then are you being too self-deprecating and not doing yourself any favors? It's just, I don't know. It's just too difficult. It's too awkward. I've always hired out for anything that I've done. Like I've done, you know, at most pieces of something, but there's always at least one other person or agency involved in helping me to get to that place. Um, I think everything that I've published under my own name or, or Super Friendly or Dan Mall or anything like that has been with someone else just because I can't do it by myself. What well, you've redesigned or added to the design on Super Friendly fairly recently, I think, haven't you? Yeah, uh, like three, three weeks ago, something like that. And, you know, I was, I've, I've been looking around, you know, I've been seeing what our peers and what our friends have been doing in terms of the way that they kind of, um, they present themselves. Um, and actually what I found really interesting is how people are presenting their work because, you know, I was looking at, at super friendly and you've got these sort of almost sort of individually designed portfolio panels. I'm looking at all this at uh, philly.com and, uh, and O'Reilly. So, you know, you've got these kind of, I hate to call them art directed because that's what, <laughs> but that's what people were going to kind of understand what we mean, you know, sure. these kind of individually designed panels with copy overlaid and then the link to the actual work. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's interesting because I, you know, I, it's something that I toyed with for a long time and it's, it's still not done. So I, the, the reason that I launched this site is because it gives me a better platform to be able to do more things. The last site was a, a template, essentially. It was on running on Cargo Collective, and I just felt awful about that. Like, I'm a professional web designer. 
and I am using a template to sell, you know, to sell hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars worth of services to big companies. And I've got a thing running on a $9 a month template. <laughs> so I, like that was the one thing for me was I went, I need to create a platform where I can change things really quickly and set up things where I can change things really quickly. So that informed all of the strategy for, for doing this. Um, but I, I've had, I had versions of this design that were, that just didn't have any, any images at all. It was just all text, black and white. Um, and the, and the reason that I was going to do that was because I wanted to experiment with how much people were hiring super friendly for visuals and for visual design or whatever the term is that's popular or not popular now, um, as opposed to for strategy and ideas. And, and I was tired of people saying like, oh, well, we need comps done. Can we hire? Oh, it looks like you do comps. Cool. We'll hire you for that. I just felt like it was too competitive. So I toyed around with the idea of what if I launched a, an agency site that didn't have any visuals in it. That was just text, good typography, and then here's a link to the work. Well, it's actually interesting because I'm just flicking over to the nodivide.us website, <laughs> which is Dan's company site, and there's no work at all on the homepage. There's, in fact, mm. there's nothing except the cow on the homepage. Yeah, that's one of the things we... I mean, like Dan was saying, it's an, it, it's something we can add to. So like... That was put together fairly quickly, um, really, when we launched in November. And, you know, we wanted to keep it simple. And, you know, we, I mean, I hate what it says on our homepage. I mean, it says something ridiculous, like we build digital experiences oh, without boundaries or something. It's like, ugh, literally makes me want to throw up in my mouth. <laughs> um, but at the time, like, we were like, yeah, that's really cool. But now it's like, no, that really sucks. So we're, you know, we will be changing that. Um, and we certainly do want to get some, some work into our, to our homepage as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've taken a similar, or we, we took a similar approach, I guess, to what Dan was saying just now. And that, you know, we, we took more of like a, not an editorial approach, but, you know, we, we use text, you know, quite heavily on the site and there's not, that much in terms of imagery uh, on the site i mean obviously our our work is actually a similar kind of thing to to dan where um you know we just have like a a, a photo with some a paragraph on it and a link to the site um and you know again something we're, we're sort of t- toying with is actually building out you know case studies for each project um because you know we don't actually think our last site converts that well considering how many people visit it per month so you know, we're starting to think about it more as a, as an actual business, you know, website rather than just like, um, uh, a visual kind of, I don't know, even know, back rub, you know, of like, oh yeah, we like this. This is, you know, other people in the industry will like this. It was, and that's, you know, it was kind of, 50 50 you know like the reasoning behind a lot of the stuff was like oh we think this looks nice but actually we're having to kind of rethink about it in terms of what our clients want to see or should be able to get from our website so i think you know things like i said like that title on the home page is just that's providing zero value to our potential clients because well, yeah. you know what i think about that whole kind of handcrafting digital experiences <laughs> But I mean, I've, I've, it's changed for me as well. Like, you know, I was all for that, obviously, in November, and we're not even a year ahead yet. And, um, and now I absolutely hate it. So, you know, what I do like about the way that you've presented the work, though, 
is, you know, you've got hands-on laptops looking at a website in a coffee shop setup. Yeah. <laughs> rather, rather than do the thing, and it, and and it's interesting the way that you've done that because if I see another website that demonstrates the fact that designers can do responsive work by showing, you know, an iMac, a laptop, an iPad, and a phone all kind of stacked together next to mm. each other, I think I'm going to go crazy. Um, yeah. And we've been fighting really hard against that kind of urge because you know how do you show off a page? You can't show the whole thing. Well, the thing is as well, it's like, there's, there's not really that much. I don't see the value in saying, Oh, look, we can, we made this website for a client and it works on an iPad and an iPhone. I mean, if we're going to be, if we're going to start putting devices on there, let's put all 5,000 of them on there and just <laughs> say, look how it looks across all of them. I mean, it's silly, isn't it? Um, I think the, the better approach for us is probably just to actually link off to the work. I mean, we, when we are going to start writing case studies for these, we will, probably have you know want to show you know that this is a, a responsive site but we probably want to talk about how we tackled the problem um and then they can actually see that for themselves rather than kind of say hey this is a preview of a screenshot of what it probably looks like on an android device or whatever you know it's um yeah this dreaded case study thing is something hmm. that i have actually i'm going to eliminate from our site because what we did with the last design was that we had half a dozen um case studies if we want to call them that and each one wasn't just about hey we did this for this particular client i wanted there to be a, a sort of a message with each one you know one was about color choices one was about typography one was about responsiveness one was about something else or something else so we kind of use those case studies as a vehicle to highlight one particular aspect of our work and it kind of that to the extent it worked but the problem is, is that i didn't do another one you know in 18 months i didn't write another one because case studies are such a bind mm -hmm. you know Yep. This like this kind of like okay, we finished the project. Do we write a case study? Nah. So yeah, it's a, it's a time consuming thing to do, uh, you know. And I think for for us, it's something, and probably for yourself, you want to experiment without having them. We probably want to experiment with having them and just see what kind of impact that has on you know our inquiries. I mean, if we find that we have the same work on there as we do now, and then we write a case study for each one, and suddenly we're getting twice as many inquiries, it's fairly clear to us that you know the, it's worth us investing our time into doing them. But if we find there's there's no difference in, you know, the, a, not just the inquiries, but the quality of inquiries, you know, if, if, if nothing changes, then, yeah, we have to seriously, we'd have to evaluate, like, is it worth our time spending two days putting together a really amazing case study if it's not going to change anything um yeah it's interesting what you said daniel about wanting to find out whether people were hiring you for what did you say creative work or, or ideas versus what web implementation yeah exactly i mean case studies killed me last year uh having case studies um I have them on my personal site, not not on the old super friendly site, but I had maybe five clients last year that would say to me in the you know i would I would send over a first round of design and we'd talk through it and we'd um we'd work through whatever that's and the feedback for, for all five of those were, 
well, you know, this doesn't really look like the stuff that you have on your case studies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, because that stuff was baking for nine months. Like the, the stuff that I put in the case studies was the result of it. And I think that's why not a lot of people do case studies well. I think what a case study should have in it is here's how you solved a bunch of problems in the project, not here's what the output of that was. And that's what most people's case studies are. It's like here's the shiny thing, and then we'll write about the, the how we got to the shiny thing. But what I want to see, and, and I, I would always tell this to students when, um, when I was looking through portfolios and hiring and things like that, I want to see your first crappy version, and then I want to see the, the final version. So I want to see the before and after and how you took it there. That's what's going to convince me that you're a person worth hiring. And the same thing is happening with, with my clients. They're, like, they're seeing the final result and, and just thinking that that's the round one output. I'm like, well, no, this, this took you know, rounds and rounds of revision and iteration. And we get there quickly. But when they see that first thing and they're trying to compare it against the case studies hmm. that they see on the site, there's a huge discrepancy between those two. So if, if I did do case studies, I would do a massive case study that was like, here are all the variations of design that we, what we went through. Here's the sucky first version. Here's the really awful first draft that we did. And here's how we got to the, to the, the end result. I think that my, my most popular blog post that gets me work is for the project that I did for Reading Ms. Fundamental, where I showed here was, here was the comp that they hated. And here's the comments that they gave us on what they hated about it. And then here's what we did to respond to that. And I get a lot of, of inquiries based on that post because people go like, oh, now we see how a real web design process is going to be like with you. Um, so I would, if I'm going to write case studies again, I'm going to do it in that format, not in the just let's write a lot about the output. I love that idea. And I tell you what, do, do you remember Scott Thomas did his uh, Designing Obama book? Yep. Which, oh, man, I wish that I'd ordered the hard copy because the hard copy yes, that is a case study for like a thousand quid or something on ebay now i mean it's just yep. a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money for the hard copy and i so wish that i'd bought that um but there's a case study so imagine taking a project and saying right okay i'm going to write this case study and it's going to be a hundred pages and it's yep. going to show all of the stuff that you mentioned you know right from the brief at the beginning all the way through the early iterations and all that kind of stuff i'll tell you what that's a book and like a little mini book and I, people would pay 10 bucks for that, right? Because designers love this kind of thing. They love it in blog posts. They love it at conference talks. And, you know, you could actually give that to a prospective client and then go, that's what a large scale project looked like because it took nine months. I love that idea. Even writing 4,000 words on your website doesn't do justice to the project. You know, like, like you said, uh, Fantasy Interactive does amazingly, amazing looking case studies. And, but that just scratches the surface of their projects. You know, so like you, you could write a full book on each project and it still wouldn't be enough. You know, because you're trying to pack nine months worth of iteration and conversation and discussion and discovery into, you know, a single scroll, essentially. Yeah, so true. I mean, yeah, there's when you, I, I don't know how long a typical project is for you, Andy or, or Dan, but you know, we don't really work on many projects that are less than sort of two, three months. And, uh, you know, trying to actually, if we were to document everything as in like, you know, write about everything from every, and just the emails alone would probably be, a, you know, or the <laughs> Slack channel comments and stuff and the Trello boards and the sketches and the wireframes and then the, the, version one two three four dot psd i mean it just would be yeah an inc- incredible amount of um reading <laughs> um yeah I, I, yeah I think you bring up a good point like a good case study would just be here's access to the base camp account 
<laughs> yeah. through the discussions. Like that would be a great yeah. case study on a project. Yeah. But doing a case study well in the way that we talked about could be a really good creative challenge because Oh yeah. It could produce this sort of you know, almost like it's an, it's a sort of a, another body of work that kind of sits alongside the actual work. Um that really kind of documents a, a, a web design process. And I know that and you know that the way that we work today is just so different from the way that we did things when we started off 10 years ago. I mean, completely different. And yet all of that history, um, all of that experience that we went through in, you know, pre-web standards and then the switch to CSS and all this kind of stuff, I think is kind of just going to get lost to history. You know, I'm sure that there are plenty of young designers and developers that just have no idea what old farts like me and you had to kind of go through. Yeah. Um, and yet having something like that where, you know, you had a, a really good kind of solid 20,000 word case study, at least of a particular project, the ones that we kind of, you know, revere. Um, and I suppose there is that thing. If you think about, um, Ethan Marcotte's responsive web design book and the Boston Globe, they kind of are this, you know, it's kind of like the book of the, the book of the movie. Yeah, or the, exactly. Or the book of the website. But wouldn't it be great if you had the book of the fast company redesign or the um ESPN redesign? You know, those early sites that were kind of standards based. You know, looking back on that kind of stuff, I'm sure it would be fascinating. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would watch a documentary on that stuff, but like a good documentary takes two years to make. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, I think it comes like if you think about any of the clients that we all work for, if a client came to us and said, you know what, we're going to we want to write about what we do and we're going to do these 40,000 word articles and have images and all that stuff. And we're going to put out one a year. We would advise them against it. We would say, well, it's not sustainable for you. Right. It's not going to you're not going to get any traction from it. And yet we all do that in our industry. Yeah. Like, Andy, your, your point is, is well taken. And that's why I don't do case studies is because it takes so long to make one that you just don't make another. And you're like, eh. and then it defeats the whole point because then it just looks like, all right, you did three projects, uh, you know, three years ago. And it's just that you haven't, you've been too lazy to write the case study That's, for the last three years. And it's embarrassing. It is totally it really is, embarrassing yeah. the fact that, you know, you look at stuff on nonsense.co.uk and the, the, the visual style, and we try not to have a house style, but you know, the style of the things that, that we've worked on then are different to now. The, I think the caliber of projects are different. And, you know, and I look at that and I'm just embarrassed plainly. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the new site that I put up in the last three weeks, I've made more commits to that site than I've updated the last site in the, over two years. So like that's, I think that's what I was striving for is something that I can update more frequently. And it could just be changing a little word here, adding a new section or move a new section, you know, change this graphic, swap this out, see how it goes. But like that is a living thing that I want to be working on, not the thing that you put up for three years and you leave it until three years later you change it. Which is the thing that we tell our clients. We tell our clients not to do this, and yet we, I, I am completely guilty. I hold my hands up, fair cop, gov, because, you know, I'm hopeless. And then we just get so sick of it that we're like, ah, burn it to the ground and we'll start over. <laughs> start again. So, But would you say then that, there, that we are better not having case studies or uh, or doing the super simple ones you know this was the output and here was some sort of early stage stuff but it's like a really stripped back version because if we're not able to sort of put you know two weeks worth of effort into producing or maybe longer into producing a, this full 
in-depth case study for every single piece of work that we create, then what's the what's the thing to do? You know, I mean, not that one you know one shoe fits all and it worked for everybody, but you know, was I'm just about to sort of embark on this with with no divide, and you know, I'm sort of trying to toy with which direction do I take, you know, and you know what impact is that going to have? So what- yeah, so I mean, I I bring it back to the return, like. Is the return worth it? So, you know, Andy, you said you worked on your site for three days. I worked on this site for maybe five days. So let's say I, I don't have time-based rates, but let's say I had a day rate and let's, you know, a, a day rate like, uh, like $1,200 or something. So for five days, 1200 bucks a day gives me six grand. If I get a six grand project out of this site, it was worth it. Right? Like if I, if I get $6,001 project out of this site, I've profited from making the website. And so, and, and so that's how I try to think about it. If I spend six months on a redesign, like on a, on a new website, okay, well, that's going to take me, I mean, I don't know, like I'd have to get a $200,000 project from that. And maybe I, maybe I will do that. Maybe I won't. So if you spend two months writing, writing a case study and then you don't get a return on that case study, it wasn't worth it. And I think that I've found a way, I'm not going to give the game away, but I think I've found a way of being able to publish creative work without having the overhead or the responsibility of popping things into case studies. Um, so um, more on that when we launch the website. Such a tease. <laughs> Let's talk about something else for a minute, because again, I was looking at super friendly and I've been looking around at lots of other sites for kind of inspiration. And I've always, always been a firm believer in you Get the type of work that you show on your website. And if you, if you, if your portfolio is full of, uh, you know, e-commerce sites selling spanners, then <laughs> likelihood is you're going to get another e-commerce site spelling spanners in, selling spanners inquiry. Now, interestingly, you, Daniel, were talking about repositioning. That's what we want to do. We want to be, we don't want to be in the business of, of manufacturing websites which I think is where a lot of the industry is right now. Um, the mechanics of producing a website are not interesting to me in the least, but the ideas and the strategy and how it fits into an overall kind of plan and the ideas and the art direction and the copywriting and all the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast and in other places before, that's where I want to position the business. Um, so our new site is going to major on that kind of stuff in the hope that we will start to pick up business that's, um, more suited to that kind of area. Um, and I'd be very interested to hear your experiences as to how, you know, if, if, if it works for you. Um, so I think it works, but I'm not sure. So I, on, on the contact page or section of the site, I have this long diatribe on like, here's why we don't want to work with you. We don't want to work with you if you're shopping around for the lowest price. We don't want to work for you if everything is a rush, if you need it tomorrow, because we probably won't be able to do it. We don't want to work with you because of, you know, whatever reasons. And the the gamble, so I have sort of two gambles and, and two things that I was going to try out and see how they go. One is that I get I get about an inquiry a week. Um, and And those are everything from... Hey, we need a quick set of comps tomorrow. Can you, can you do that? To, we have this major redesign thing that we want to undertake. Most of them are more toward the former, the smaller projects. Hey, can you, like, we need a freelancer or are you looking for a full-time job or something like that? So like sort of throwaway inquiries, but they're still inquiries. Um, 
So I wanted to see whether or not those inquiries change. And what has changed in the last three weeks is that I've only gotten one inquiry in the last three weeks, but that one inquiry has been pretty dead on for the project that I want. So I don't know. I like I'm still in early early stages of that proposal of that that sales process. So I don't know if that's actually going to pan out. So I'm not sure if it's working yet. In in one sense, I got the type of inquiry that I want. But I got less now, so the quantity is reduced, and I hope that the quality is there. But if I don't win this project, maybe it, maybe not. So I think it's a little too early for me to tell whether or not it was it was the right thing. The other thing, and I'll I'm sort of giving away my my secrets here, but I guess I guess I don't mind. Is I get most of my work through word of mouth, through and, and not even word of mouth through other clients, but word of mouth through other people in our industry. So a designer that might work in-house somewhere that has seen me speak at a conference or seen me write something, or uh, a friend who runs an agency that has some overflow work that they don't have time for, they pass it over. I get, I would say, 80% of my work that way. So the gamble on this site, and I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, the gamble (laughs) for this site was to create a site that actually does not attract clients as much as it attracts our industry in the hopes that a bunch of people in our industry talk about this site and now keep super friendly in mind when they have overflow work or when they ha- are in-house somewhere and their boss says, it's time for us to do a redesign, that they go, oh, we know exactly who to, who to talk to now. So it was really a play on how do I get our industry to, to kind of recognize this as a good, a good agency that does good work and then keep it in mind when, when the, those kind of projects come along. I, I, so far that hasn't panned out, but I know, three weeks in. I like that. And I, I, I like that. I like the fact that it's opinionated and, you know, we get most of our work through referrals. I mean, we'll, we'll get the occasional kind of Google inquiry and some of those have panned out to be nice jobs. Um, but over the last sort of 12 months, we've been doing some really lovely projects with a couple of very nice Drupal developers. Uh, Drupal development companies. We love working on these projects. We've worked with some branding agencies who are fabulously creative and produce amazing packaging, but didn't know how to actually put their website together, um, you know, in terms of presenting their work. So we love that kind of stuff. And actually, that's an area where the, where I think the new site is going to major because when you have other people that are introducing you to the client, then, you know, eases the sales process. You know, you're already 50, 60, 70% of the, of the way there in terms of the client's decision making because you've been recommended. You know, you're no longer in the pool with all the other piranhas biting at that person's leg trying to get the work. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're if you're pitching against 10 agencies or 20 agencies, you're not going to win that work. I mean, if you're one of 20, that sucks. But if you can come in and you're one of two that they're trying to choose from and you have an outstanding recommendation for somebody that they trust, I mean, the chances of winning work are very, very high there. And that's where, that's where I win most of my work is coming in already the favorite and, and being able to close that deal as opposed to, you know, we don't know you from anybody else, you know, do your best in trying to convince us. See, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, when, when you get a completely cold inquiry, it's a, you're starting right at the bottom in terms of that kind of um, interview process. Um, and that's extremely hard. And there is a lot of time and effort. I mean, I know that there are companies and some companies that we love and work with where they have people that all day do things like proposals. You know, they'll, they will literally have a person that puts together uh, proposals for, you know, big tenders, etc. Well, we're a three-person shop. We can't afford to spend that kind of time doing it. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think that this kind of filtering is extremely useful. I mean, I don't know whether I would be quite so open about the things that you've mentioned here. Um, yeah, I don't know that I should be either. But it's interesting. But we have a couple of filters on our website. We have our ethical and political statement at the bottom, which says, you know, we won't work for the military and we won't work for, you know, and we do want to work for charities and trade unions. Um, and, you know, that's a filter. And, you know, we've had people complain about that in the past. Um, this time, one of my filters is actually going to be, we are putting the rate on the website. Um, and I've actually just sort of, I've actually said in our kind of, uh, process and about section, we schedule projects over several week long sprints and we charge a flat fee of £5,000 plus VAT per week. And that covers everybody that's working on the project. And we ask for one week's fee in advance on signing and then one week paid before each sprint begins. And that's there on the website. And I'm just hoping, interesting. I'm hoping that that's going to, um, you know, act as a filter. And on our contact form, it says our projects start at £5,000 plus VAT with an average, uh, costing between, you know, 15 and 20,000. And we normally schedule projects every one to two months in advance, uh, one to two months in advance. So I'm hoping so I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to stop people that want something tomorrow for 4000 quid. Exactly. Yeah, it, I mean it definitely well it definitely should do. I mean it, yeah, I mean, this is the one of the things that, you know, as a new agency we've sort of been struggling with a bit is that since we've become an agency we've been asked to go to tender and pitch probably 300% more than we ever were as freelancers like in fact probably just, we didn't, we didn't even really get asked. I can't even remember being asked to pitch for work as a freelancer, but suddenly, even when we were just two, um, and now we're four, um, we pretty much 60% of the inquiries we get, um, if they're not recommendations and they're just sort of cold inquiries are, hi there, we're looking for an agency. We like what you do. We need a tender response by the 25th of September, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we've basically, we've just, both of us, myself and Ryan, because, you know, we are the ones that would fill in those potential responses. Um, we've pretty much just said, no, we don't do it. Um, we've, we've gone through one phase where we were one of two agencies and we were sort of led with the client. Actually, that was Charity Bank who recently they, they, they have a lot of processes and sort of red tape, you'd call it in terms of, um, we need you to be able to kind of agree to these things. And, you know, we need you to come in and chat with us and you're one of two people and we really want to work with you, but you kind of need to go through our process because, you know, the guy we were dealing with was really friendly. He was like, sorry, but you know, we're like, we're, we're a bank and we've got these processes in place. We really want to work with you, but can you help? Can you meet us halfway and do this? And they were incredibly flexible and even agreed to pay us a a fee if we didn't win the work. And that's the only time we've ever gone to any sort of like pitch kind of phase. Um, and it was a lot of work before we got the project, but hands down been the best client we've ever worked with. Like incredible. Did they pay you to do creative for the pitch? No, we didn't do any creative. It wasn't creative. It was more creating, um, contracts. We had to, uh, fill out, um, various, uh, we had to sign various forms about data protection. Um, we had to look into our, how we process our data, where our data is stored, all those kind of things, which are very new to us. We had to create service level agreements, um, or at least, you know, proposals for service level agreements and warranties and 
all this kind of stuff and you know assignments of copyright and all this documentation which you know we were just like whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> we don't we don't really know how to do this but they also were just as flexible when we turned around and said yeah you are a fairly big organization and you know you have this kind of structure where you know you're in the marketing department and your ceo is going to jump in at some point and be like i don't like that and they were quite happy when we said you know you have we have one point of sign off you know you and your team three four people are the people that we deal with on this project and have sign off we're sorry but unless your ceo is involved from the beginning he can't come in and just demand a change and they were like yeah that's cool and they stuck with that and they're incredibly happy with with the website and are getting amazing results from it so the whole process has been really good but we are struggling as like an agency to kind of filter out those work because we don't want to get every inquiry to be like hey we need you to respond to a tender process but at the same time as i said maybe like 60 70 percent of the inquiries we're getting at the moment they ask that um so you know we're sort of thinking well if we just say flat on the website like we don't do that that's suddenly 70 percent of our work is gone um or potential work is gone so it's always like this kind of juggle of you know trying out different things i think that's probably the important thing to do is actually to to try them out and try these various filters and like dan said you know it's only been three weeks since he launched his site and it may be something that actually has been the best thing he's ever done but it may also be that he needs to rethink it because it it just hasn't worked and uh it's hard to say at this stage of course but um i mean there are some things that you know i just absolutely won't do and they're there in that kind of ethical statement and you know working for the military is one of them um but some of the other rules that you kind of have in business, and particularly the whole kind of, you know, no spec work thing, which I say to people all the time, is that we do not do spec work. We certainly don't do creative um, upfront. However, the project of my dreams that I will be announcing soon, which is a piece of business that we won uh, a month or so ago, did I, did I spend a day actually putting some creative together before I went for the meeting? Damn right I did. Because, you know, this was the job that I've always wanted to do. And we, and we won it. So, you know, it was worth spending a day of my time working on that, you know, as an opportunity cost. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's difficult for me to be dogmatic about anything that I won't do. And even even, you know, I make some pretty bold statements on the website, but none of them are. We will definitely not work with you in any circumstance for this. I'd certainly have those things. And I think, Andy, what you're saying, it's a good idea to put those things in there. Like, I won't work with a, with a, the pornography industry as an example, you know. And I think there are some cer- certainly moral and ethical lines that for me I won't cross. And I think that's good for people to know. Um, however, there are, I, I feel like there are almost always exceptions to things where you're like, well, <laughs> this sort of crosses the line, but it sort of doesn't. And then I have to decide whether or not th- that's a thing that I want to pursue or not. Um, so I, I think, I try to be open to that. And I, and I have, I know a bunch of people that have different approaches to that. I got some good advice from uh, my friend, uh, Harold Emsheimer, who runs Overcommitted and it's our, they're an iOS shop. And he said, I take all inquiries, but what I do when I take all inquiries is I try to spend the least amount of time with the wrong inquiries and the most amount of time with the right ones. So anybody can say, Hey, I want to work with you for a hundred, but I have a hundred dollars in a dream and here's what I want to build. And he'll take the inquiry, but he'll very quickly turn it away after that. Um, and then the people that, that seem really good and good prospects, he'll try to spend more time with, with them. So, and so that's one approach to it is the sort of like take it all and then filter from there. The other approach is like, let's not even take it all. Let's just shut the door to, to a bunch of those things. And I've seen that in various forms too, where, you know, some people, uh, and this is a thing that I don't think I would ever do. Um, but I, I know some people say, 
write on their contact form, we're not taking work until three months from now. Yeah, I've seen and this I'm like, before. Wow. Like, and I'm, and I, I'm like, I would never do that because yeah. I will, I'll just take the work. If somebody wants something done tomorrow, maybe I could turn that into a project for three months from now through the sales process. And, but so I think there are all these different approaches to them and it's just about finding out what's right for you at the time, you know, right, right now for the work that you want to do. You know, if you've got, if, if you have trouble making cash flow right now, maybe you are going to compromise on some of those things. You know, maybe some of those things yeah, come down absolutely. off the website if nobody, if I got no jobs and no prospects over the next couple of months. Well, let's just talk about this. We're booked up for the next three months thing because I've got it written on my website in my new, the new version. We normally schedule projects one to two months in advance, but now you're making me kind of question that because <laughs> there have been several instances where we've had a major inquiry and you know, somebody has said, okay, well, we'd like to start it, you know, in, in a month's time, something like that. And with the best will in the world, it's not being possible. Um, and yet through the sales process and through talking to people, if you impress them enough that they really, really want to work with you, they will wait unless there is an absolutely fixed reason why they picked a particular date for their website launch. You know, maybe there's an exhibition or, you know, it's tied in with a movie launch and there's just no way that you can shift that. Um, most of the time, most businesses that we deal with don't have that kind of thing. I mean, okay, if you're designing something where you're about, you know, it, it has to be live for the holiday season because that's when people spend most money in the run up to Christmas. And obviously, you know, they're not going to want to launch in January. That would be crazy. But most businesses don't have those kind of restrictions. You know, they can wait six weeks and often, and often they do. So I'm actually thinking about taking that off now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I want to reserve the right to make a game time decision on that stuff. So, like, you know, if your dream client comes to you and they have your dream project that you know is going to win you a ton of work in the future and you're going to love it and you're going to enjoy putting it on your portfolio and be proud of it, I mean, maybe that's worth a couple of extra hard weeks coming up, you know, where, like, normally you wouldn't want to book yourself to that to that point, but you're like, you know what, for my dream project, I'll work an 80-hour week for the next three weeks, you know, and then I'll take a vacation after that. And so if you shut the door to that, you don't even have the opportunity to decide. So I think that's like, that's the kind of, I think that's one of the principles that I'm trying to have is like, I want to be able to make the decision, not have the decision be made for me. So what do I want to close the door to right away? You know, and what do I actually want to entertain and to see if it will work? You know, maybe I will, maybe I can overbook. Maybe the, the project pays so much that I can just hire a whole new team to do this thing. Like, and, and oversee it. Or maybe I can partner with somebody. Or maybe I can, you know, whatever the, the opportunities are. I feel like I want to make that, I want to be able to make that decision. And, and it would suck if, if, you know, my dream clients, Nike, DC Comics, if they came to my website and they read a thing and they're like, oh no, not worth contacting. Yeah. Like, well, it's cool. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine, like, if, right? if you found <laughs> like, that out? They were there <laughs> and they went away. Yeah. Well, yeah, while we've been talking, so I've just been editing HTML. So that particular line has gone. <laughs> it's it. gone. This is a really good discussion because I think that a lot of people do struggle with how to present their own work. I mean, we have opinions and we tell clients how to do stuff every day of the week. But when it comes to our own stuff, it's just so incredibly difficult because... I mean, yeah, A, we're sort of close to it, but also, you know, I don't know whether we really understand what works and what doesn't work at this stage. I think so. I think we just need permission to do things that we might do. We might even do 
anyway, but I feel like having somebody to give you permission to do it is a great thing. Like this, this site, I built this site in five days, design and dev and, and all of it, but this was after spending months and months with Carolyn Wood to consult with me on the content strategy of how to talk about super friendly. So, I mean, this is like the culmination of all of those things and more, more are, are still coming. Uh, I, I worked with um, Jared Riddle at Life is Lottery to draw the mark. I hired Tal Lemming, who's a, who's a letterer at Type Supply to, to do the logo type. I mean, like without all of those people's involvement and helping me to kind of understand it, I would never have been able to get to this in five days. Like it took five months of work or six months of work to get to five days of work. Yeah. Well, one of the things <laughs> that I am doing is I'm hiring my old friend, Owen Gregory, who is possibly the best copy editor that I've ever worked with. I mean, Carolyn is fantastic. Um, but in terms of actually copywriting, um, copy editing, um, Owen is brilliant. And he's edited my books in the past and probably will in the future. So he just seems like the absolutely obvious choice to, you know, edit this copy because you need, de- you need extra eyes on it. You know, that's another thing I think about your own stuff is that whether you're a one person team or a five person team or something like that, or maybe even like a small cell inside a bigger company, there aren't enough eyes on the work. Um, and I've actually yep. been wondering about doing some form of, um, you know, limited kind of private or semi-private design crit where I would, you know, put together a team of half a dozen people who could actually, you know, you two could be one of them, two of them, you know, where actually before we go the whole hog and develop this thing, um, um, actually get other people's ideas on it and have that kind of do that design crit for our own stuff, not just for what we do with clients. That's one of the things that um, we are we are going to be doing with the with the new site designers because when when I did it or when we did it myself and Ryan it was the two of us and um, we had help from Lucy our copywriter but um, <clears throat> now we've got Sam and Matt as well there's like two extra people to bounce ideas off and I think that's going to really influence actually our decisions because they will have new ideas and uh, ways that they think that we can. Of thing, you know, things that we can include on the website and directions for us to take. So I think, um, like Dan says, bringing those people together and bringing outside people, like you were just saying, Andy, I think is, is probably going to be, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good idea for sure. Yeah. Well, I may well do this. I need to figure out over the next few days a sort of a structure for it where, you know, we can have three or four focused conversations about certain things, whether it be copy or typography or a certain aspect, exactly as we would do with a client project, but do it for ourselves. I was saying that's a great idea. Absolutely. Right. We should wrap it up. So people should follow you, Dan, on Twitter at DE. And you got to look at Dan's studio's website at nodivide.us. And you should follow Daniel at Daniel Mall. And of course, at his website, superfriend.ly. Very clever. And you can follow me at Malarkey. And to ask questions or suggest topics, you can message this show on Twitter at unfinishedbz. Or you can email me, he has at unfinished.bz. And if you like the show and you shave parts of you, you could say thanks by buying your shaving supplies from Cornerstone. I'll put a link in the show notes at unfinished.bz. And uh, thanks, fellas. Speaking of podcasts, you're not making... Well, Speaking of podcasts, you're not making the Businessology show anymore, are you, Jason? Oh, shit, I can't get my line out.